now listening to the Charity Church Podcast. Wow. I like that line in that song. I don't know how it goes, but it's about the generation after generation after generation. I was just thinking that some of us in this room are where we are today because of our moms, right? Because your mom made a choice and your faith, her faith has been really just kind of passed on and you saw that and you came into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ as well because of your mom or maybe it's because of her mom or her mom. And somewhere along the way, someone made a, cha- made a change. Somebody made a decision to step into a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, and you are a recipient of that generation after generation after generation. So happy Mother's Day, right? Happy Mother's Day. Man, we are told to honor our fathers and our mothers, and today we set aside a day to honor moms. Moms, I hope you'll pick up your your gift out there from Eat Cakes Bakery. It's a $5 gift card. You go down there and pick out whatever you want. Anything over $5, you got to pitch in or have one of the kids do it, okay? But you go down there and enjoy that. And, uh, and, and I just, you know, sitting here, in the, I was sitting in the coffee shop this week pre- preparing this message, and my parents celebrated 54 years of, of uh, marriage this week, and then coming up on Mother's Day, and, and my wife's birthday is this, was this past week, and so I got a lot going on, you know, a lot of going on in my head, and, but I was sitting there just thinking about my mom, and I was thinking about her faithfulness through the years, and her life has just been a testament to um, someone who is steadfast, immovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord. My mom was the baby of the family. She was the baby of six kids. Her oldest sister was 18 when she was born, and so she basically had two moms <laughs> working for her. Um, and so, but, but my mom was always looked to as kind of the one to help everybody get through a crisis. I mean, but she, from, from very early, she dealt with a lot of tragedy. Um, she had a, a brother, an older brother, who committed suicide. And then she had two nephews who were about her same age, both of whom died tragically. Um, I think one of them was hit by a car. And it was just like, and at a young age, she dealt with tragedy. And then through the years, she's been the one who kind of, when, when a family member dies, they look to Helen to kind of help them navigate through it. So both of her parents died, and, and she kind of helped navigate through that. And all of her siblings except for one has died, and so she's helped families navigate through that. She's helped step in and raise nieces and nephews. I mean, when, when times were tough for, on their families, they'd, they'd move in with us. We'd have a cousin. They'd come live with us for a period of time, and, you know, we just welcome them in. That was my mom. She just always did that. And then later on, you know, you, you know my story, you know that my brother committed suicide, her, her, her son. And then a few years ago, we were on a cruise, a family cruise, and my dad had a heart attack in Cozumel. And we were like, oh no, we didn't know if he's going to make it through it. But my goodness, just over the years, mom has just been steadfast. Her faith has been um, unwavering from the outside looking in. You know, I don't know what was going on necessarily always internally, but, but she just has always been a story of faithfulness and consistency. And she always looked to the Lord for her comfort, for her peace, and for her strength through all of those things. And I just look back and I'm just thinking about it this week and about how much I'm thankful for my mom. And many of you could sit up here and tell the same kind of story about your mom. 
You could stand up here and just brag on her and brag on her and brag on her. But today, we're going to look at a story of a mom that's probably one of the least likely candidates for a Mother's Day message. I mean, if you Google Mother's Day messages, um, encouraging Mother's Day messages, this name does not pop to the top, okay? And the person we're going to look at today is a lady by the name of Bathsheba. Bathsheba. You don't really think about her. We talked about her a few weeks ago when we kind of started this series on greatest comebacks. And uh, we looked at David. And of course, David uh, had an affair with a lady by the name of Bathsheba. That's the Bathsheba we're going to talk about today. But if you look at David, I mean, Bathsheba's life, she kind of gets marked by that chapter, by that, that story about her life. That's kind of how people view her. She's, she's the other woman. And, and, and so when you look at that, you go, man, she's probably not the top competitor for a Mother's Day message. But today, I want us to look a little bit more into the life of Bathsheba. I want us to see some things about her that maybe you've never read about, some things that you may not have ever associated with her. And I think today you're going to be surprised and hopefully at the end, you're going to be encouraged by the story of Bathsheba because I want you to realize that your story does not have to be defined by the worst chapter of your life. And aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful that your story of your life does not have to be defined by the worst chapter of your life? I mean, if we were writing out our story, there would be parts that we would like not include, right? When you're telling your kids your story, there's a part you just, you hide it. And if somebody was writing your story out, there's parts of it you'd want them to at least put it in the footnote or in the appendix where nobody turns to, right? We just don't want people to do it. And what if your life, what if the story of your life was written over and over and over and just told to people years and years and years after year? Man, there would be things that we would not want to be told. And so is there a chapter in your life that you'd like to be excluded? Is there a chapter in your life that you would like to be excluded? I think all of us would probably agree that there's parts of it that we would like to kind of just take that out. If we could have a do-over, we would kind of avoid that uh, next time around. But the story of Bathsheba goes like this. She was introduced to us as the wife of Uriah the Hittite, the woman who was bathing on her rooftop when King David came out, and he was supposed to have been out to war, and he saw this beautiful woman bathing. He summoned her to have her brought to his house. He had an affair with her. They ended up having his wife or her husband killed. Uh, Uriah was killed. He was put on the front line, front line of the battle, and he was killed. And then after that, the consequence of that was she lost that son. That's, that child died. But she goes on, and, and she married King David. They ended up getting married, and her story continues. That's not the end of it. If you look later on in her life in 1 Kings, you'll find that she became one of David's, if not David's, top advisor. As a matter of fact, when one of David's sons, when David was nearing the end of his life, one of his sons named Adonijah, he was wanting to overtake the kingdom that was, going to be, that was belonging to Solomon, the next king of Israel. Adonijah got this group of people together and, and gathered him in and was going to overthrow the kingdom. Bathsheba got word about it, and she summoned Nathan the prophet and said, hey, listen, here's what's going on. Adonijah has gotten all these people together. They're throwing this, this, this big uh, gathering, and they're, they're getting ready to usurp the authority, usurp the kingdom from David and ultimately from Solomon. So what do we need to do? So her and Nathan came up with a the plan. They would say, Bathsheba, go in, tell David what's going on so that 
he can make a decision to anoint King Solomon or, or Solomon as king of Israel. And so she goes in, tells the story, and then Nathan and, the, and, and their plot decides to come in right after that and confirms all of that. So she gives David this information about Adonijah that he needed to know about because he had already promised the kingdom to Solomon. So he, they do this, and then David's able to anoint King Solomon. Well, King Solomon rises to the kingdom, and as a result of what's going on with Adonijah, he has him killed, just the way they did things back then. And um, some of you are like, man, that'd be cool if you could do that. Maybe not. Um, but, but that's what happened. So Adonijah's killed. And then after David's death, Bathsheba becomes a great queen mother. She actually becomes a, it would be king mother, queen mother, king mother, one or the other. Tell <laughs> I'm that. Um, but anyway, she becomes a great advisor to Solomon. And so as Solomon's making decisions, Bathsheba is right there giving him advice about how to do things. Your mom ever done that to you? The first service was a whole lot more, more participatory than you all are. And, and they, were, they were like giving, but my mom loves to give advice, right? I mean, she tell, when, you're, when your kids are young, she tells you how to raise them, Right? Okay, thank you. Uh, when, when, you got, when you fell into financial problems, mom had advice, right? There we go. Now we're working. Now we're working. And as you got married, you know, she's giving you advice and all of that kind of stuff. She's always telling you how to drive. Now I'm just kind of talking about my mom. <laughs> okay, so I want to back off right there. But, but Bathsheba became an advisor to her son. And so as she becomes this influential person in King Solomon's life, what do we know about Solomon? He was the wisest man to ever live. When he became king, he prayed for wisdom like no other. And we know that Bathsheba was very present in his kingdom for many, many years, giving him advice, imparting wisdom to him. And so Solomon comes along and he writes these Proverbs, he, most of the book of Proverbs is attributed to King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. And all of this book, most of this book is written by King Solomon. Now, if you get down to the last chapter, perfect Mother's Day chapter, right? We look at Proverbs 31. There's women's ministries named after Proverbs 31 ministry. Why? Because it's just like the ideal woman type chapter. And you look at that, and, and, and it starts like this. It says, the oracles of King Lemuel. Now, if you study this, and I have, no one really knows who King Lemuel is. There's lots of speculation around it. But most scholars have come to realize or come to believe anyway that King Lemuel is another name for King Solomon. So the words of King Lemuel or King Solomon, for the sake of the message, an oracle that his mother would be Bathsheba. You're paying attention. Okay, so King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother potentially, if we're going with this interpretation, his mother Bathsheba taught him. So these are words that a wise mother, Bathsheba, would have told to her wise son, King Solomon. Now, a couple of things. If you have a New American Standard Bible, Oracle is not in there. 
They've translated that as a word Mesa because they believe that maybe there's another belief that King Lemuel, and in full disclosure, King Lemuel might have been a king over an area called Mesa, which was a part of the descendants of the Ishmaelites. And so some believe that, but as they start studying this word oracle, or the, the Hebrew word that's translated oracle in most of our modern translations, this is, this is what we believe, that this is an oracle that King Lemuel had, give, had received from his mother who would have been Bathsheba. So that's what we're going to go at. We're going to look at this and we're going to say, here's a mother who taught or set her son in the right way, something that she taught him to live by. Bathsheba giving this advice to King Solomon. Now read Proverbs 31 through that lens it takes on a different, different meaning. It takes on a deeper meaning because you're looking at a life of Bathsheba who the first chapter of her life was not a pleasant one, right? It was an ugly chapter. She was known as the adulterous woman, but her story was not over. Here's the last chapter of her life. Here's what it says. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? And so basically she's pleading with her son. She's sincerely pleading a case to her son, which is an important role of mothers. Mothers, we're so thankful that you plead your case. Even when we roll, your, roll our eyes when you're not looking, even when you say things that we don't want to hear, that we've heard a million times, we need you to continue to plead your case. Don't ever stop imparting wisdom. Don't ever ignore that little intuition that God has blessed you with. Don't ignore it. Because this was an oracle that a mother says, what are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my Vows. This is a mother who is pleading her case. This verse could be read like this. My child, I gave birth to you and I love you. I asked God and he gave you to me. So listen to what I have to say. And here's what she says. She says, do not give your strength to women. Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings. What she's saying is, don't give your faculty, your ability to reason, don't give that away. Don't give away your power. Don't give your strength away. Don't give your wealth away to women. Bathsheba knew firsthand what this looked like, right? She knew firsthand what this looked like. And then she was saying, listen, there, is a, there are kings out there that are, that are sexually obsessed, and what they'll do is they'll fill their harems full of wives and full of concubines. She's saying, listen, don't give your strength away. Don't give away your, your faculties. Don't give away your ability to reason to the opposite sex. Don't be ruled by a sexual attraction. I saw what it did to your dad. I saw how it put a cloud over his kingdom. I saw how people doubted his ability to rule. I saw how, people, how it affected him. And listen, Solomon, I want you to be careful as you lead. I want you not to give away your ability to reason to the opposite sex. But you know what Solomon did? Just like a lot of us do, did not take her advice. He filled his harem full of women. He had a 1,000 wives and concubines total. 700 concubines and 300 wives are just the opposite. He had way too many women around. He did not take the, 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 the advice of his mother. 
Here's the thing. Sexual obsession is the forfeiting of your long-term strength or your ability to reason for a temporary gratification. And that's exactly what his mother was warning him about. Don't be so ruled by your sexual desires that you forfeit your strength and your ability to make reasonable choices. And we have seen men and women alike who let their sexual desires control their lives. And they make mistakes, they commit sin, they commit um, all kinds of things, and as a result, they have to deal with the consequences. They lose influence and they lose their strength. So don't sacrifice your influence for the sake of indulgence. Don't sacrifice your influence for the sake of a sexual indulgence. That's what his mother is warning him about. So number one warning that this mother is giving is protect your purity. Protect your purity. Guard it at all costs. If you're, if you're a teenager, guard your purity. Purity paves the way to intimacy in your marriage. In your marriage, purity keeps the intimacy. So guard yourself. And imagine this coming from the hands or from the lips of Bathsheba. She understood what David had been through. She understood the compromise that he had made and the strength that he had sacrificed, the influence that he had lost in his kingdom. He lost his son. It put a cloud of doubt over his, over his reign, his kingdom. And Bathsheba was also warning her son Solomon, who would later sacrifice his strength and his ability to reason as well. She's giving him a warning. Watch out for it. Moms, guard your children, guard your kids, guard your sons, guard your daughters against this sexually obsessed world that we live in. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. It's a hard one, but it is. It is so rampant, but it will take us down if we're not careful. He goes on. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, or she goes on. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, or Solomon. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink. Now, I'll tell you like I told the first, first service. I can easily step on a soapbox right here. And if you've been around me long enough, you know this is a soapbox for me. The, the, the consumption of alcohol in our culture, to me, is mind-boggling because of all the things that are associated with it on the negative side. And so whenever King Lemuel's mom is looking at him and going, listen, I want you to, to understand that if you want to rule the kingdom well, alcohol is not for you. If you want to be a great leader, stay away from it. Just drinking wine is not for you, and, and rulers need to, to refuse strong drink. And she goes on and says, I, I know you're going to press up against that. I know, I know you think that's old-fashioned. I know you think it's illogical. I know you think it's crazy. But let me just tell you what it does. If you drink, he says, lest you drink and forget what has been decreed. And lest when you start drinking, you go too far with it. And you start to lose your ability to rationalize. That you start to lose your ability to make logical decisions. That, that eventually, somewhere along the way, the alcohol takes over or the, 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 the substance, whatever it might be, it begins to take over your ability to reason. And before you know it, you get behind the wheel of a car. Before you know it, you hit on somebody that you shouldn't have hit on. And you end up in that adulterous relationship. Before you know it, you say something that the next morning you wake up and go, why did I say that? 
Because what she's saying is, as a king, you need to guard your ability to logic. You need to guard your ability to reason. Because if you drink, you may forget what has been decreed. And you may pervert the rights of all the afflicted. And we know that. I mean, we see people all the time who, who did not think that one more drink would be too much, and they just kept going and going. This lady down at Folly Beach just a few weeks ago, young lady in her 20s who drank too much, got in a car, driving down Folly Beach, runs into the back of a golf cart with a newlywed husband and wife. You think when she took her first drink of alcohol, she intended to do that? Absolutely not. But it impeded her ability to logically think And her life is going to be scarred from now on because of that temporary lapse in judgment. And I'm just telling you this. For me, I've said absolutely not. No to all of it. That's just, for me, that's a personal heavy conviction that comes from family background. I could get into more of that, but I'm not going to. But but for me, it's a very logical um, conviction because of that, but also I don't want to impede my judgment. Listen, I don't like to take sleeping pills. I don't like anything that messes with my ability to reason or think and, and, and function to the best of my ability. And so what, what um, King Lemuel's mother is saying, hey, stay away from it. If you want to lead and lead well, stay away from it. There's a place for it. He says, or she says, give strong drink to the one who is perishing. Somebody dying, hey, give them some alcohol. Give them some alcohol so maybe it'll take some pain away. Maybe it'll make them forget. And wine to those who are in bitter distress. He's saying, because it takes away your, your faculties to be able to logically think. Let them drink and let them forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. She's saying, maybe she's kind of speaking in hyperbole going, listen, this is what it does. So, hey, if you don't, if you want to give in to poverty, if you want to give in to all these things, hey, have at it. But if you want to lead well, Don't jeopardize your judgment. Don't jeopardize your judgment by participating and going overboard with that because the good leaders guard against things that would impede good judgment. Good leaders guard against things that would impede good judgment. That would be drugs, that would be alcohol, that would be any other substance, any other thing that is dangerous. Stay away from it. Just just say no to as many of those things as you possibly can. I found a quote from a guy by the name Jeremy Taylor um, on a book on holiness, and he says this, drunkenness opens up all the sanctuaries of nature, and it discovers the nakedness of the soul, all the weaknesses and the follies. It multiplies sin, and it discovers them. It makes a man incapable of being a private friend or a public counselor. And so he's talking about holy living, what it means to be set apart. Last week, we looked at the life of Solomon, a man who is set apart for God's use, for God's purpose. And one of the things that he had to vow not to take was any kind of strong drink or any kind of drink from the vine, the wine. So if if someone is set apart, and that's what Jeremy Taylor is saying, a life that is set apart, this is, this is, this goes against that. He goes on, he said, it taketh the man's soul into slavery. It imprisoned an imprisonment more than any vice whatsoever because it disarms a man of all his reason and his wisdom whereby he might be cured. He goes on and says, and therefore commonly it grows upon him with age, a drunkard being still more a fool and less a man. It just takes away our ability to properly reason. She goes on finally and says, open your mouth 
for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Destitute are people who are just passing away, saying, listen, King Solomon, I want you to step in and I want you to be a voice for those who can't speak up for themselves. I want you to be a voice to those who are mute and I want you to speak up for those who are dying, those who are perishing, those who can't speak for themselves. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and those of the needy. I want you to step in and be an advocate for the defenseless. I want you to speak up for those who have no voice. I want you to speak up for the unborn. I want you to speak up for the orphan. I want you to speak up for the widow. I want you to speak up for those who are handicapped. I want you to speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves. And for us, I think that's good advice, right? I think it's great advice for us to speak up for those who can't speak up for themselves, specifically for the unborn. A couple of weeks ago, um, some of our, our, our general assembly passed a, um, it's Care for Women, Children, and Families Act. I think that's what it's titled. I think it's titled, or I think it's 20, bill number 20 or whatever it is. But basically what it does is it impedes or, or prevents abortions after week number 12. We'd like for them all to be gone away, but, but this specifically legislates law that says no abortions after week number 12. Our governor... Governor Roy Cooper has already said he's going to veto that. So if he vetoes it, which he probably will, it's going to go back into our state house to be voted on. And it could actually be passed into law that, that after week number 12, it's, it's illegal to have an abortion in the state of North Carolina. And I think as followers of Jesus, we should be, believe in the life of the unborn, amen? And we ought to speak up for the life of the unborn. We ought to speak up for the unborn. And so we need to pray. We need to pray for them. We need to pray that this legislation passes. It's Senate Bill 20. And we need to pray that it, that it, that it does become law. But the second thing we can do is we can contact our legislators. You can reach out to your local representative by calling them, writing them, emailing them, asking them to override Governor Cooper's veto of this law. Just do that. I mean, you can, you can Google it. There's a place where you can find it and you can just send them an email or you can call them. And then finally, I think we can advocate. We can advocate for the unborn, but we can also advocate for those who are born, who are in homes where they're unwanted or where they're abused and where they're, they need to be out of those homes, which is one of the reasons that we at Charity are starting this ministry called Charity Foster care ministry. We're, we're starting that. It's already launched. We've got some stuff going on already. Next week, I'm going to give the whole message basically to that, share with you more about what we're doing and how you can get involved, not in bringing necessarily a foster kid into your home, but how you can support and help families who are doing that. And so we can advocate for them. More on that next week. But I just want you to be encouraged, ladies. Listen, here at Charity, we understand how beautiful it is to give life. But we also understand that it's painful those, for those who would like to and can't for whatever reason. Mother's Day's hard for some of you, and I understand that. We understand that, that it's, it's great to watch your child grow, but we also know that there are women in this room watching online that have had miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage or lost babies. We understand the pain and the joy, all of that that's associated with being a female and being a mother or wanting to be a mother. 
And listen, we love you. We support you. We pray for you. I know some of you that are, that are trying right now to have a child. I am praying for you. And today, I just want you to understand that, that you have a church that loves you. We honor mothers, but we, we do that not forgetting about those of you who would like to be a mother. But for mothers today, some of you may feel like you're less than. Maybe, maybe your kid didn't turn out the way that, that, that you thought they should, or maybe things just didn't go the way that you, that you wanted them. Or maybe you wanted a career, but you didn't get to do that. Maybe, maybe some things, I just want you to know this. I read this quote by Andy Stanley. It says, your greatest accomplishment may not be something you do, but someone you raise. For moms, that could be you. It may not be something you do, but it's someone that you raise. Lean into that. Lean into what God has given you, that intuition that he's given you, that ability to mother. But for all of us, mothers, fathers, everyone alike, your story doesn't have to be defined by the worst chapter of your life. Listen, Bathsheba's story was not over when she had her affair with King David. Her story moved on. Her story moved on. And if in fact she is King Lemuel's mother, what a beautiful chapter. But you know what? There's another chapter that speaks about Bathsheba. And it's in the book of Matthew. And it's the lineage of the savior of the world. And Bathsheba's name is mentioned in there. So I don't care what your backstory is, the worst chapter of your life does not have to define you. Write another chapter. It's not over yet. It's not over yet. And I hope today you are encouraged by the life of Bathsheba. The most unlikely woman probably that we, well, next to Jezebel, that we would probably ever talk about on Mother's Day would be Bathsheba. But her story wasn't over. Her life didn't have to be defined by her affair with King David. There was more to the story. And God is continuing to write your story and my story. So don't let the worst chapter of your life define your life. Let's all stand together. Father, we're so thankful today for Bathsheba. We're so thankful that she gave birth to King Solomon. God, we're so thankful today that she is mentioned in the lineage of our Savior. And we're so thankful that we look at her life and we realize that the worst chapter of her life does not have to define her entire life. Same thing for us, God. And so today, if there is anyone here that's never put their faith and trust in you as our Savior, it's my prayer that today they would meet you at this altar or meet you back in the guest VIP room with us and come to a place of trusting you as their Lord and Savior. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen.